everyone. Another episode of Freak, uh, iFreak Show. Uh, today with you, Alex Bush and Christina Malton. And today we have a very special guest. Uh, it's uh, Mish- Misha Hiberband, right? Hiderbrand? Sorry. Very close. It's Misha yeah. Hiderbrand. Yeah, in Hiderbrand. German. And um, yeah, so today we're going to talk about um, developers being um, sort of designing code for, for developers, the art of designing code. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Uh, and, uh, but before we go, uh, jump into that, uh, Misha, please introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Misha. I'm um, an iOS developer, but I haven't always been an iOS developer. I started out uh, as a physicist, actually. So uh, I studied physics at university. Um, then I switched jobs to become a radio reporter, actually, to, to become a radio journalist and also did some stuff on TV. Um, during my trainee and um, then mysteriously somehow I got into iOS development um, which is where I am today. <laughs> okay and then recently you gave a talk right at iOS Conf, um, the art of designing code. So tell us a little bit about, about what, what the talk was about. Yeah exactly. So um, Actually, I was just, uh, I just came back from uh, traveling the world for, um, for seven months and I did a stopover in Singapore where I had been on exchange before. Um, so it was kind of like coming back home and I thought this would be a great place to, to give a talk at a conference. And um, the, the, the topic of the, of the talk was actually um, the realization that um, developers are uh, in a sense designers themselves or um, it, and that they can also like not only designers, but also like kind of like journalists, they need to communicate something to other developers. That's, that's like that realization came a little bit like before I started traveling in my old company that, um, you know, like when you design an app, for example, if you're a designer and you design the user interface, your, your intent is to make um, the app as easy to use and as, uh, as beautiful as possible. But the main focus is on making it, making it easy. And um, in a way that the same principle applies to code as well. If we are developers, um, we can be like brilliant developers with a, with a brilliant mind and write code that works. And that's super fancy and has like lots of, um, I don't know, functional code and whatever. But then like other developers might not be able to understand what you wrote. So if, if we use like abbreviations or, or make stuff super complicated, um, which is um, why from, from, a, from uh, this, this particular perspective, it's like we're designers as well. We're designing code for other developers. And, and that was the, the main topic which made me like prepare the talk and give it at um, iOS Conf in Singapore. It's very, were there any particular experiences that kind of helped you realize how important the, the code that we write that other people have to work with is um, and how much of it is really communication? Well, I mean, um, I think in, in general, like everyone comes to a point as a developer when you become like more towards a senior developer where you realize like that it's not just about making code work, but uh, making it work for other developers as well and possibly for your future self um, because after a couple of years, you might get to a point where you need to touch your own code again. And um, like, I don't know, like two or three years later, you're like, what, what the heck? Like, I don't remember how this works and what's this abbreviation, et cetera. So, so there, there was definitely like one, one of the um, components that made me think about it. The other aspect was that um, I was working at a company in, in Munich uh, for three and a half years. 
And um, I did have, um, yeah, a lot of work with, with legacy code. Like uh, I mm. remember this one mm -hmm. incident where I was, um, uh, yeah, we basically took over uh, a project, like a whole entire app uh, for a clothing manufacturer um, from another company. Um, and well, it's always the challenge, right? Like working mm -hmm. with legacy code or with code that like another company uh, wrote. Um, but in this particular case, it was like super difficult um, because the code was really messy and um, it was super difficult to read. It was like almost like um, like decrypting uh, hieroglyphs or something like that. <laughs> um, and I remember particularly that the app delegate was like, I don't know, maybe 3,000 lines of code, Oof. like all <laughs> in, inside this like one single file. Um, and to make things worse, uh, the methods that the methods in, in that app delegates didn't have like uh, any meaningful name. So they were called something like cold start stage one. And then the, <laughs> this method called start stage one was called another method called start stage two which would <laughs> mysteriously call another method, this time cold starch stage four. And I was wondering why the hell is this not calling cold starch stage three? <laughs> it's <laughs> so, a rocket. It's a rocket. <laughs> yeah. So, so it didn't have any semantic meaning at all. And it was like terribly difficult to see it. Like every method has had like several side effects. Um, it, was, it was a mess. And it took us like, uh, there, there was one of my tasks to <laughs> clean this thing up. And we had to... Um, kind of uh, convince our customer or client to um, uh, pay for for like two weeks of just cleaning the code up, you know, like because without it, we couldn't work on that. And um, th there was uh, like another um, point where I started thinking about, okay, like what what actually, what's what's the problem with this code? You know, it's, it's not just like um, the common principles that we probably all know as developers <laughs> where you should... Um, I don't know, like the solid principles, etc. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, try to have clean code, but it was also like all sorts of different things. And I thought like it would be a good idea to um, kind of have a collection of, of items. And that started like uh, making me think about um, similarities between designing um, uh, user interfaces and uh, writing code. And also between um, working as a radio reporter that's when my like former experience as a radio reporter um kicked in you know and um i remembered hey actually you know code um is also like a language right so um and in a way you can see code um as a user interface only that the user is another uh, is another developer right so we're communicating code is there to communicate uh between one developer and another developer um and that user interface in media, like if you have radio or TV, they also have the user interface and that user interface is called language, right? Mainly, they, in TV you also have visuals, of course, video, but in general, the, the main ingredient, the main interface is language. And so, so that's what made me think about, I learned several tricks, several, um, like a toolbox of, of things um, while working at the radio station that we would apply in our um, daily work. Um, to make language easier to understand. Because if you're listening um, to, to the radio, um, you're usually on the go, you know, like, or maybe you're taking a shower. <laughs> um, but then it's very difficult to listen to the radio. But some people, people still do. <laughs> I remember in the car, right? Something like that. You're doing some other activity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, many people actually um, yeah, drive while listening to the radio and stuff. So, so they're not entirely focused on the show. Sometimes you're having another conversation going on. And that's why it's so important um, that the language is super simple and you can like dive in at any point, you know, without feeling lost. And, and, and that's why, you know, like there are all these tricks uh, in this, this journalist, radio journalist toolbox that, that you can, can apply to make language very easy. And it turns out that you can apply those um, tricks also to uh, the code language, to Swift, for example, or Objective-C or whatever language you're using. And um, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. And it's, it's, it's amazing. So, so before I, I want to ask about those um uh, techniques and tricks, uh, but before we jump in, jump into it, actually, you, you can, I want to mention that you, um, kind of the point you're trying to make about us as software software developers writing code not only for a machine but also for other um, developers, 
they're effectively becoming it, it's it's a it's a thing I've been kind of trying to hone in on of over of, of the last many years actually doing software, and um, basically my sort of the way I kind of explain it to people. I don't think I myself and most of the developers are actually software engineers. We're not engineering much uh, most of the time. We're more of a software writers, right? We write some text conveying yeah. some information in that text, which is code, to other devs who are, and, and then the majority of the time that you spend developing, you're reading code, your yes. own or other people's, right? And then the machine reads it too, but it's uh, sort of a, it happened like that in, in a way, right? That's where it started. And the purpose was to, for a machine to read it. But now where we are is that's like a secondary thing almost. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's also like, it's a, it's a, it's a very good point that you're making because um, I always like, there are always a couple of like developers who appear um, to be super smart and they are probably like they, they write like super efficient code. Um, but the problem is that others might not be able to follow along or even themselves in the future. It depends. Mm -hmm. And, um, as we all know, like usually, um, you, you can achieve the, the, the best results if you have like a team and you have like some sort of team collaboration. And also if you have, if you're working on larger apps, you need to think into the future. Sometimes if you're having apps that, last on the app store for like 10 years or something and you need to think about like how can we like continuously maintain the code etc and make other people because i won't be the one working on this app for the next 10 years there will be others who will, will follow in my um uh, footsteps you know and um and so i think that's that's really really important and swift makes it a lot easier to um or to even get closer to writing um yeah, writing software, as you, as you said, right? right? So, because it, it's way more natural and much closer to real English language. And if you, if you um, think about it and uh, put a little bit of thought in it, you can actually write code that's very similar to, to real English sentences. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you have this sort of, um, well, I guess you call them tips or tricks, techniques, right? To... Uh, approach it are they um, what problems are they tackling let let's start there right what are the issues like you you mentioned that example in the beginning of a huge app delegate right it, it could have been a view controller but what I heard there 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 was not meaningfully named there was not meaningfully named methods in it right and they also had a sort of a chain cascading chain of them yeah, yeah. Is, that, is that sort of one of the typical symptoms or or how, how did you i guess approach kind of analyzing that and then coming up with those uh, applying those uh, tricks and techniques well th there are several uh, like different rules or or tricks and um, they all cover different um, problems, basically. And they, they all, it's, it's not like reinventing the, the wheel or something. It's not like a super fancy thing that no one has ever done. Probably most developers um, like are doing that already um, if they're a little more senior or stuff. It's just a, like different perspective to, to look at it. And for me, it's a very beautiful perspective because it makes, um, sometimes it's difficult to see the reason why, or sometimes it's difficult to explain to other developers, especially especially junior developers, um, like how like how this rule works and stuff. And to use, for example, um, like radio and TV analogies um, makes them usually it, it makes it a lot easier to to explain why it's why it works and why it's so important. So like if we dive into that like uh the, the first trick or the 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 example that i mentioned in in the beginning with the uh, difficult naming of the methods with cold start stage one etc i mean like that's that's a typical problem usually um you know like when people don't put much thought into the naming of methods or variables for that for that matter and um i, I mean um that's basically um some something of course like where you just like need to um i don't know put yourself in in the shoes of uh 
the audience, if you think in terms of radio and TV or of the other developer, um, if you think in terms of, of software development. I think like one, one very important rule for me that I took from, from radio was uh, very astonishing um, because in, in school, at least that's the case in Germany, we always learn that very like good um, academic language would be like long sentences, you know, like usually using very, the more, the more difficult words you use, um, the more, like the smarter you sound, you yeah, know? Sure, so smart you are, exactly. I mean, we, we all know like these professors, like, you know, uh, lecturers at, at university who sound super smart. Um, and we think like probably they'll invent the warp, the warp drive within like the next two years or something. Um, but we can't follow along at all because the language is so complex and so, so difficult to understand. And they usually use very long sentences and complex language. And um, so one of the first astonishing things that I learned at the radio station where I was doing my trainee um, was that it's the best thing you can do is to use very short sentences. Don't use any encapsulation, for example. Don't use um, like difficult words or lengthy sentences and stuff. And there's like the first point. Um, I always had a little bit of... Um, like sometimes difficulties with like RX Swift, for example, you know, like or with uh, like these functional methods where you have a lot of chaining. And now I, I do see a lot of, um, you know, like that, that's one of the most uh, uh, controversial topics probably in my talk. Um, there, there is a lot of uh, valid um, uh, reasoning behind using these things, but people like chaining um, methods after methods is like inviting you to write like super long sentences of code in a way you know sometimes i see methods where people like throw like modifier after modifier and even like now with um the, was it the combined framework or something that apple introduced right. like i mean it, it's going more and more towards uh, that direction and and people need to it's very powerful um it's a very powerful tool to write software but you need to think about what what you're doing and not um follow the temptation to um, write like super, super long sentences because in the end, like if you're in between something, you don't know what you have. You don't have like intermediate um, like variables that describe the intermediate result. Like, you know, like if you would do like an equation um, in mathematics or something, you, you would usually do different steps, you know? Um, and right. I think that's, that's how my brain at least works that I need, um, I need to think one step at a time. And, and not like 10 steps at the same time. Um, yeah, so, so that's one of the really important rules in my opinion, like use short sentences, which translates to, yeah, try to keep your, your, your lines short. Um, and it's also very interesting because um, I had this <laughs> funny example in, in the talk, which was um, of course only an approximation, but I said like the, the more uh, dots you have in a line to, you know, the worse basically, because um, and, and the idea behind that is like every dot in a line usually um, accesses like some something that's like uh, one level lower in the hierarchy, right? We d dig in with every every dot in a line. We we dig in a little deeper. Like I don't know. Let's say I don't know view dot uh, view dot layer dot uh, I don't know like you know and if, if you have like five five um, dots in this line or, or, or seven or something then it's clearly something clearly something you should probably do in in a different place which is closer to what you're what you're trying to do or if that's not possible then at least like extract this very long thing into like an intermediate variable name and then use that variable name to make the actual, actual uh, computation because otherwise you need to read like several lines to understand what's going on and you're you must do all the work in in on your mind you know like in your head hey folks this is charles maxwood and i just launched my book the max coder's guide to finding your dream developer job it's up on amazon we self published it i would love your support if you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. That sounds to me a lot like um, what I see people also do. Yes, with Rx Swift and similar uh, frameworks, functional frameworks specifically, but also with uh, optional, what is it called? Optional chaining or something? Yeah. Where, where you do... Question mark dot, question mark, blah, 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 question mark dot, yeah. yeah. It's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So that's uh, there's a name for that. That's uh, breaking law of Demeter, and essentially, law of Demeter is the 
well, what you described, it's the, uh, man, how do I, how do I phrase <laughs> super short, right? Because I need to convey that information clearly. Uh, it's basically not reaching into other objects' internal implementations, only stay on your level, right? Exactly, yeah. And with your example of like five dots in in one line, yeah, that's clearly like five or four times your uh, you reached too deep from your layer, right, where you are. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. So okay, so that 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 would be one technique, and uh, sort of encapsulation here is essentially the the solution, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, makes sense. Um, so, what would be other techniques that you know you, uh, you kind of found you you could apply from your experience? Um, well, um, another very very simple rule is something you've probably um, heard before at some conference or in an article. Something is like uh, try to name your booleans um, positively, you know, like not negatively. Oh, um, <laughs> because you know, like it, is visible? I, is hidden? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's like the common. Um, it's <laughs> mm -hmm. like the, this. This one common example from Apple where they use the opposite, where, which would not follow my rules here in in that matter, where you have like a view and the property to to hide it or make it visible or not visible would be called is hidden. Um, and I'm sure they put a lot of thought in it and in the end, like decided for, for that naming or something. Um, it's, it's sometimes you can argue about whether it's good or not. It's never like, you never have the silver bullet. Right. But like in general, it's a very good idea to name Booleans positively. Why? Because, um, you, um, will use a negation at some point in your code probably where you check for um, like whether or not this uh, the, the negation is true or something, you know? And uh, if you use um, a positively named Boolean, then you can read like in your mind, you can read like you have this exclamation mark, for example, if like the weather is good, for example. So the Boolean is called is good. And if it's named positively, then you can have the exclamation mark and then is good, which you can read in your mind like, not is good so that kind of is bad like is not good but if it's named negatively and then you need to um uh, get like the negation of that then you would have something like um not the first the exclamation mark and then is bad so it's not is bad which is like a double negation which is kind of like minus minus is plus and stuff so it's a little bit more complex <laughs> yeah i guess a lot of it is just anything to make it easier to read so that when someone comes to your code, um, yeah, they've yeah. obviously got whatever concern they're dealing with. So they've already got one thing on their mind and then having to start digging into the code and, and dealing with what's already there, the more you can simplify that for them and make it obvious, the better. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's exactly the point. Yeah. So th there was a code base, I, uh, a very old legacy code base I used to work with and all the developers um, left who, who originally wrote it. And and the the code base was written with those. Like it was a lot of there was a lot of uh, well, I guess neg neg uh, negatively named properties, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Someone on the team who worked with them uh, told me it was a joke, obviously an anecdote, but still it, it made me think maybe maybe only half it's half as truth and half as joke, right? <laughs> that they were very pessimistic people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they wrote it that way. So it's like, no, we're not gonna fail. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's probably why they left. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> they didn't believe in like shipping the app. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but seriously, though, at the same time, it's it's funny. But as you, I guess, as you think about it, as you read the code, it, it's just this extra layer of oh no but what it really means is not not this that means yeah. it's this yeah. so it's yeah. A bit positive. yeah so and i think that's that's um where you can see that it's like 
Um, I mean, this, if you have one Boolean that's named negatively, I mean, it's not the end of the world, obviously. Right. But like, that's, that's why you have this like toolbox of like several different things and they all add up. So if you, if you have negative Booleans all throughout your code base and then like, you know, like super long sentences and, and very long chains and, and stuff, uh, and then like super inconsistent naming, non-semantic naming, et cetera, it all adds up. So it's, it's always like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of reminds me of this, this, this law that I learned, learned in physics. When you try, when you're working with radioactive nuclear stuff, you're, you're trying to keep this exposure, the radiation exposure to a minimum because you are going to be exposed, but you're trying to keep it to a minimum, obviously. And so that's what you can do with code as well. Trying to always think, like um, conservatively in a way, trying to um, do the best you can with, with all these different things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're never going to be perfect, but we can certainly improve and try to do the best that we can in any little context that we're working in at any time. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned earlier and you're saying and if you had a long chained expression, maybe you're not doing it in the right place. Um, do you have a bit of a, a rule of thumb for determining kind of where the right place is to, to put your code? That kind of works out well. Well, usually, um, what, what I meant by saying that it's in the, in the wrong place, it would mean like, um, I mean, uh, what? I, I, let me think of an example. Hmm. I, I think I was think reading one of your blog posts, and you were talking about a download manager. Um, yeah. And they were instantiating a resource and then passing it the download manager and kind of doing everything in the resource. Um, yeah, that's backwards. It's, it's, it's very closely related, but it's not exactly the same. Um, what I would say, like in the chaining aspect, it would be mean like basically if you have like, um, you know, like uh, five dots, like properties and accessing properties of properties of properties, et cetera, then it obviously means that you can put this code a little bit like lower in the hierarchy and access inside one of those properties if you have classes of those, for example. But um, with, with a download manager, manager, that's actually like a very good other example that um, <laughs> came across my work in, in, in the previous company because I had a colleague of mine who was, um, he had a lot of time to um, uh, work on something, something cool to be, because we tried to uh, write like a common um, networking library that we could use um, in, in, in several of our projects um, to, to have this as like our own um, proprietary um, networking library and um he did something really cool with um some generics and stuff um and it looked really fancy um but when i read over it i i thought like man something is wrong with this code <laughs> and for a long time i couldn't figure out what like i just said dude this like it's it's kind of impressive like all of it but here at this one point i something's wrong and then i think i slept over it or something but um, it's, I couldn't let go of it. And then I figured out what was wrong like a day or two later. <laughs> and um, it was actually, and it could be boiled down to this very simple radio reporters rule again, use active voice over passive voice, you know? <laughs> Don't um, speak um, like passively. <laughs> and um, in, in the code it was like, for, there was this download manager and obviously the download manager's main task is to download resources from the internet. Um, and so he was using this, this method, um, which uh, would be defined on the resource. And it had something like, um, so, so you would first define a resource with a URL, where to get it from, et cetera. Uh, so you instantiate that resource and then you call on that resource, um, the method download with um, colon, and then you would like, you know, um, hand in the, the download manager. And I felt like th this is like super weird. Like why would the resource kind of like it appeared as if it was downloading itself. Right. But it's like the download manager's job to download the resource. So it would be like more convenient and much more understandable in a way to have like the down that this method defined on the download manager and have something like download manager dot download resource. And, and, and that's like, uh, way more straight uh, straightforward and it turns out it's also way more testable and like you know may way cleaner code etc um, um so and th that kind of like blew my mind as well because it's like it's it's really like who's the actor the actor is the download manager right so that's where the method belongs the the resource is like a passive thing it doesn't do anything it's just there it defines like where the where it's 
post it or something. You have the URL defined on it, and that's pretty much it. So it should be like dumb and nothing else. It's it's passive. It's just handed into the download manager and not the other way around. Yeah. So so it was uh, basically resource object taken in the download manager and then using its public API to initiate URL data fetch. Yes, yeah, something like that. So it was like uh, the, the resource needed to know that was another problem, right? That the resource needed to be aware of the download manager. So right. you had to like import this download manager thing um, into into the, into the the file, and that's kind of crazy because then your resources, uh, which should be something really simple, like all depend on on this uh, download manager. What if you want to switch the download manager in the, in the future, use a different kind of class or a different kind of tool to, to perform the download uh, procedure? So, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's also, yeah. I was going to say, it's also the naming, right? It's named a, a resource. So yeah. kind of from deriving from that. So what does it do then? A, I, I, my guess would be a repre represents a resource. That's it. It doesn't do anything else. Download manager, yeah, well, it's supposed to download. What, manage downloads, maybe? But yeah. something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, naming is very important there as well. And yeah, you can derive a lot of that stuff from it. Um, yeah, but it's, it's funny how it's, how it's related to this journalist's work as well. You know, like, because the, the number one rule that we had was also, you know, um, use active voice whenever possible. Try to avoid passive voice at any cost. Like, for example, take the language, uh, the, the, take the sentence, um, like, what do you prefer? She, um, she kisses him or he is being kissed by her. You know, what do you prefer? She kisses him. It's just, it's exactly. direct and obvious. Yeah. It is very precise. You immediately understand it. And, and it's even shorter as well. So, and, and, and that's the, the same principle that you have in code. And that's, that's kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like that's a lot clearer and more obvious uh, and I think in some ways more actionable than just single responsibility principle. Because sometimes yeah. if you're just thinking of, oh, it has one responsibility, it does something, it, it's kind of easy to get inverted about where things could go. It sounds obvious when you say, okay, a resource and a download manager, obviously the download manager does the downloading, but I could see, depending on your naming and spending enough time and working on it long enough, where you could end up with a design like that. And say, you know, these are things, they have their own jobs, they do their own thing um, and think it's, it's not too bad. But when you start talking about in representing it as, as active or passive voice um, and really focusing on, you know, put the things being done for the thing that's doing them, um, focus on the actor that way. It, I think that's a lot clearer and a lot more, um, at least for me, it feels a lot more actionable, like something that while I'm coding, I'll be able to sit there and go, okay, like, Who's doing this? Who's, whose job is this? Yeah, that's 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 what I thought as well. I mean, I mean that's that's what you can explain that to like primary school kids or something like that. You know, yeah. Like who, who's who's doing it? You know, it's like like what's a verb? You know. It almost <laughs> it feels like we're getting a action. little. Yeah. Feels like we're getting a little meta now, where we're saying, you know, we have these rules so that they're simple, so that we write simple code, but we have to make the rules simple so we can remember the rules. <laughs> design those nicely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You can take it to the next level. Yeah. <laughs> I love simplicity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. A quick, quick side note. I, I just kind of it, it remind, it made me think and reminded me uh, what, what you guys just said that after doing software for many years, I actually, I think it helped me in my writing. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, well, the actual, actual writing, right? <laughs> yeah. Like articles, let's say, because then, similar sort of approach would be applied there because I want to convey information again. And, oh, this is not clear. Like, you just think in different units, probably like a paragraph maybe in a sentence. But conceptually, did I convey that already in this paragraph? Maybe that's enough, right? Don't repeat yourself later, things like that. Anyway, it's a sidetrack, sorry. No, but this is a really cool sidetrack because I think... That's that's something that I really love my, myself about like thinking like interdisciplinary or something like that. Like if you if you try to like if you're doing several things and then in a way like every every person every developer is new, unique, but not only developers, everyone else as well. Um, and like things you do in your uh, spare time or sometimes even like in my case where I did like different kinds of jobs, like one more 
like creative or something with journalism and and then like science on the other hand or programming on the other hand um it's like when you see the similarities like you have a unique perspective on those things and sometimes you can do like what whatever uh, whatever else you're doing a lot better by seeing this like this rule that other people don't see because they have a different uh uniqueness you know they they don't have this particular combination of things that you do and and i love that what what you can take away from programming as well in order to structure your code or also the other vice versa you know the other way around um, as with radio and tv journalism for example yeah <laughs> it's really cool i do love that we seem to be getting to a point in the industry where considering this kind of thing becomes more normal where we're admitting that creating software is a social undertaking. Um, even if it's you're just yourself and yourself in six months time, that there's a very human side to it. Um, that it's not just, oh, well, the computer will, will follow it and, and that'll be fine and it won't be a problem. I'm thinking back my first job, we had literally like inline bytecode or inline assembly. It, it, that's great for the computer but terrible for the next developer to come along but it feels like in the many many years since then we are really starting to get to a point where we're realizing that uh, writing code is something that humans do and it's not just like all the people management and stuff is is so human but literally what we've always considered like the deepest most technical parts of it are actually very deeply human uh, and a lot of what we know from our other experiences and, and things like radio journalism can be really, really relevant to the little bits of, of how we spend our day doing very much technical tasks. I, th I think our uh, the code we write or applications and problems we solve became more complex too. So you can't quite often really do it solo where maybe just writing it for a machine would suffice. Yeah, definitely part of it's the complexity and the, the size of things that we've grown to and the expectations of what we can get done. If you've got, you know, a hundred people churning out a bunch of code and you have a once a year release, you can get away with silos a lot more than the more frequent releases that tend to happen now. So I just joined a far larger team than I've ever worked on. And it is very much an issue that, okay, well, you know, this has to get done this sprint. So someone's going to jump in and handle this. And it may be someone who's never seen it before and has no idea about that part of the code. And we're all busy. So the more they can understand from the context that's already there, the better. When I first started taking computer science classes in college, I thought programming was just a joke. In fact, I changed my major over to engineering and started doing computer engineering and chip design. Then I found Ruby and I fell in love. I love Ruby. It was my first real programming language where I dove deep and really learned how to make software that makes a difference for other people. Since then, and the way that we got started with devchat.tv, we started a show called Ruby Rogues. It's currently in the 400s of episodes. We've talked to hundreds of people in the Ruby community about the Ruby community, about the Ruby programming language, about Rails, and about what makes good programming. So if you're interested in Ruby Rogues, or you just want to hear a long series of experienced programmers talking about real problems, then go check out rubyrogues.com. Yeah, basically, it's, it's, um, it's also pretty much about like empathy, right? About like um, mm -hmm. putting yourself... In, in the shoes of of uh, other people in general and um yeah i i also i agree that it's um getting more and more emphasized um but it still depends on the company um i think um there are some companies where this is like really strong where they really take this uh into consideration and put some emphasis on uh yeah also basically how how people feel how developers feel in general and but if our minds are also focused on that like as developers um you know, not, not just to think about your own code and just like getting things done, but thinking about who's to come next, who's, who's going to work with this. Um, other developers and also our users or clients, whoever, um, it's super important. Yeah. And you need to have the time for that. <laughs> and so, so I think it's, it's very important um, that um, companies um, like give you the time to do that. Um, and, but I, in my experience, I think it's always, it always pays off, um, that you, um, if companies um, put in some, some extra time, um, for people, um, to, I don't know, like also socializing and stuff, you know, like getting you to understand the others, uh, better. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, always, um, from my experience, what I found, it always pays off, right? It, it, it seems hard to sell 
to businesses, but I think at least for me, it became easier. The bigger the company I joined, the bigger they grow, the more apparent uh, this the benefit of writing this clear code, right? Because then people come and go, like especially in our industry, it's it's, it's yeah. insane. Like every year, people pretty much every year change jobs, right? Or every couple of years. Then dude, like with such a churn, you... Uh, <laughs> Like the companies I would join where they had some standard for that, that would be my productivity would be way, way better from the get-go, right? Mm. So it was, yeah, kind of. I, I have a very good like uh, sidetrack here as well because when it comes to like, I don't know, like empathy and um, being social uh, at work and stuff, I remember I'm, I'm a... I'm a big coffee addict, you know, like the, the, like the really good coffee <laughs> from from the filter machines and stuff. So I always uh, I was fighting uh, and talking with my boss uh, with my boss for like two years or something. I wanted a filter coffee machine, and <laughs> he said, "No, it's going to be a mess." You know, like first of all, it takes a lot of time. You have this grinder, and people now like need to prepare it, and then they don't clean up after themselves, and it's going to be a mess, and it's going to be expensive. No, we just take this like super regular a coffee machine you press a button you get your coffee it's in five seconds people are done you don't need use and uh, lose any work time and stuff but then in the end um <laughs> after so several other colleagues somehow managed to convince him to uh eventually uh, allocate the money <laughs> so we organized that ourselves and then we got this filter machine at, at one point in the beginning i didn't have any arguments like against that of course you you lose a lot more time when you're um trying to prepare coffee with a with a filter machine and first grind your beans and stuff but it as it turned out um it was like also like a social turned into a social center at the company and uh, because it takes time it takes like five minutes or something sometimes maybe seven or eight to to prepare prepare coffee but the cool part about it the filter would always have like these two nozzles so like when people only wanted like one espresso or something, they would be like encouraged to ask other colleagues <laughs> to join in and get a coffee as well. And that they would have like a social aspect to it. They were like, hey, do you want to have a coffee with me or what? what? Because I'm going to prepare one here as well. And and there was one, one thing that like uh, improved like the team spirit in a way, in my opinion. And the second thing that happened was that during those five or seven minutes that people spent um, in front of the coffee machine, they started talking sometimes just about private or private stuff. Uh, sometimes about like the last, I don't know, Game of Thrones episode they'd seen or something. But then at some point, most of the time, they would always like switch into some coding context because it would free their minds. And then they would start uh, talking about like different projects because they were working on different projects and someone would like explain their problem and then you would have like external input and suddenly um, in my opinion like productivity really increased like just because there was this like new setting where people would who otherwise wouldn't talk to each other and sit in their offices the entire day uh, lost in their problems they would start talking and so th there was like a very <laughs> nice anecdote in my in my opinion where um yeah something that apparently that seems as if people would lose valuable working time uh, would suddenly be like more efficient because they had like new input from other colleagues and also feel better in the team yeah, it's amazing what those little uh, kind of hallway conversations and stuff can really do makes a really big difference for productivity. I just joined a far larger team than I ever have, but I'm one of only two iPhone developers in the office. Um, there's it's about 50 or 60 developers total and everyone else works on uh, server backend or Android. And there's been a whole bunch of times when I've just randomly gotten dragged into a conversation where they just need 10 seconds of iPhone developer input uh, just to get something done to make sense. And, and we get so much more done or we end up with something that is planned well and works well on all platforms instead of something that's planned very much for one platform or the other. And then we've got to kind of shoehorn an Android approach into an iOS app to make things match up. But yeah, if we didn't have such open, nice social spaces, then those conversations wouldn't be happening places where I'm walking by. Mm. Um, or if I didn't have a motivation to, to go over to the coffee maker or, or do whatever, it, it just wouldn't happen. And that's, just one more way that this is very much a social thing that we're doing. 
Wait, wait, Christina, but, but we're all introverts. We're developers. We don't like talking to people. And I don't want to hear about that backend thingy. <laughs> oh, I love hearing about backend. I love hearing about how much they're on call and I have things that happen and, and they don't get to walk away from things. I, I love being a mobile developer, hearing about everything the poor server has to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, Misha, something you have, uh, one of the those rules, tips that you have in your talk that kind of I want to talk about was uh, one piece of new information per sentence. Yeah. So could could you could you talk about that? Because you you have you have an example there as well that I really like. Do I? <laughs> oh yeah, you do. Yeah, the call in present a new view controller where you pass an item from an array by an index. And then you decompose it. What, was, was that in my talk? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to watch it again. I, I just looked it up, so I guess I'm cheating. Uh, okay. <laughs> it, it must be in my, in my Medium article then as well. So, you know, let, let's dig a little bit more into that. Just like I have a presenting method. What is it about? So it says uh, presenter, uh, oh, pre sorry, pre uh, a method in which there is one line of code present, so I, I'm, I'm assuming it's in a view controller, present city view controller, then you pass city. Um, ah, yeah. <laughs> now I know what you're talking method about. Call, and then it's item from, by an index from the array of items, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, let, let me see if I can find this example, actually. Um, yeah, because that's that's actually because um, that's something that I call the news rule, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is which is like a, a tool to make short, a sentence shorter, and and that's that's pretty much what um, news anchors use on the radio um, to to make sentence really short and really easy to understand, while also uh, maintaining uh, or following one single line of thought. Um, and basically, what I see a lot. Let me like get back to that example that you just mentioned. Um, Sometimes when, when you have like um, an action method, um, like a user tap the button and then you have this like uh, action method, um, which would then, um, not too uncommon, uh, present um, a view controller, you know, like open a new screen. And then I would sometimes read things like present and then like you ju would just write everything what's going to be presented into um, this inside these parentheses as a parameter of the present method. So you would first instantiate a city view controller and then you would, um, this city view controller, the initializer has um, like a parameter, uh, a single parameter, which is a city. And then you would call like a method to get the city from an array of items and stuff. So you would all squish everything into this one single line of code. So you end up like not understanding at all what you're presenting at the end. Because what we want to understand as a developer is, okay, we're going to present like the city view controller. <laughs> and then we can like um, see what's, what's most important and, um, you know, go step by step and prepare the single item. So first, um, I don't know, probably if the user, let's say she didn't tap like a button, but like a row in the table view, for example. And then you would have like this, this uh, action method user did select item. And then um, in, the, in the first line, you would like first get, probably you have some sort of like a data model. Let's say it's an array. So you would first get like the selected item from this array by accessing like the index. And then in the second line, you now have the selected item and then you get the city for like the model object for this particular selected item. And then um, in, the, in, the, in the third line, then you create a city view controller and then you pass in this selected city. And then as the last step, you finally present this city view controller like in an animated or not animated fashion, whatever. So um, that, that's, that's where you can really say like you do one step at a time like and don't squish in like three different, four different things into a single line of code. And in this case, you don't even have like, um, you know, a single uh, dot in this line, you know, but it's still way too long because there's still way too much information inside. And, and yeah, and that's something that's, that's, um, that radio journalists or TV journalists also use in, in news shows, right? Um, and there's this uh, super uh, great example um, 
that uh let's see yeah let's let's say here um i had this example at the ios conf talk which was uh which read as follows <laughs> spacex has launched the world's most powerful rocket which can put up to a maximum of 64 tons in low earth orbit which is more than double that of the delta four heavy which is the world's next most powerful rocket you would never hear anything like that on the radio because it's terrible. It's, just, it's one super long sentence. It's super difficult to understand. So like if you then, then what, like we actually had exercises in my trainee at the radio station where we would get examples like this and try to cut them into pieces uh, while maintaining one line of thoughts. So you could like, um, if you would put that into um, single sentences with one piece of information per sentence, then you would uh, do something like, like this. Um, First sentence, SpaceX has launched the world's most powerful rocket. This is the most important information. That's a single sentence. So now you know what's going on. Second sentence, you use this, and, and that's the interesting part about this news rule. You always introduce one piece of new information in every sentence. Um, so obviously we have the first sentence, so everything is new in the beginning, but we always refer to this new piece of information that we introduced. So let's say in the first sentence, SpaceX has launched the world's most powerful rocket. Now we have introduced this world's most powerful rocket. And now in the second sentence, we go like, we, we refer to that without like explicitly mentioning, mentioning it again. The rocket can put up to a maximum of 64 tons in low Earth orbit. So now we're referring to the rocket. We don't say the world's most powerful rocket because we already introduced that before. It's like a variable in this, in this sense, right? And then we add one new piece of information. This, the rocket can put up to a maximum of 64 tons in low Earth orbit new piece of information. Third sentence, now we refer to this new piece of complex information um, by simply referring to it as this. This is more than double that of the Delta Heavy 4. Uh, Delta 4 Heavy, whatever. <laughs> and now we, end, like, we all boiled it down, a maximum of 64 tons into this like one variable called this, right? <laughs> and we introduce this new piece of information, the delta, delta four heavy. And then the last sentence, we, we again use a variable and say that that is the world's most powerful rocket. So now we have like four very uh, short sentences, which are very easy to understand by themselves. And, um, and yeah, they also follow as uh, like a, like a uh, staircase structure in a way. You know, because it's always like one, you always add one ingredient um, and it's very easy to follow along. And, and, and that's something you can really, yeah, as mentioned before, applying code as well. If you, if you don't uh, try to squeeze everything into a single line, but go step by step. Um, yeah. This is such a good example. That's what I meant by coding influence in my writing. That's exactly one of the examples there. Yeah. Right? Where you, you can go back, I guess. Well, for me, go back from the code to the text, but for you, it's sort of from the text to the code. Yeah, it goes both ways, and that's, uh, yeah. that's what's beautiful about it. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's cool to see that actually someone can use it like the other way around, you know, like <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like my writing, I, I, again, side note, sidetracking a little, but I, I just <laughs> sucked in school at writing, like big time. Like I would get, sees barely like barely just to pass the, the class right and then now these days it's way easier to do and i sort of intuitively attribute that to um well writing code for, for so many years right and that structured my mind in a certain way right to express the information again right yeah yeah, so. it's very helpful. I actually, I remember this one guy, like I'm a huge fan of board games. <laughs> and um, I tried my, like I tried to develop board games myself when I was like 16 or something, because I don't know, do you know the, the, the board game, The Settlers of Catan? Yeah, the guy who developed that, like he lives like, 200 meters away from like uh, from my parents house so <laughs> and his, his his son was like, uh, like, uh, in my athletics team and stuff. So I felt like if that guy's dad can do the settlers of Catan. I can do something similar. <laughs> so I developed a long time. And that's, that's when I noticed at one point, um, like I never made like really good game actually, um, only some prototypes, but there was this other, uh, game board game developer, um, who was actually, um, uh, professionally com computer scientist or programmer as well. And he said, like, I read several interviews where he said, like, um, you know, I use this 
structured way of thinking to come up with like super good rules. And then I put this, my fantasy on top of that. And that's how I end up with a board game. So, you know, like there's so many different uh, things uh, where you can uh, apply uh, these principles or these concepts of thinking that you learn in programming. And also the other way around, of course, yeah. Sounds good. Uh, Christine, I think, think, you think we're going to wrap up? Um, yeah, I think we've had a really good chat, Mert. We've talked a lot about um, a lot of what Misha's kind of learned and experienced in and what he knows from radio journalism that applies well to code. We've, uh, right. we've had a good long chat, so I guess it's about time to do our picks uh, for this week. Um, I've got a couple. Um, mm-hmm. One is from useyourloaf.com, Keith Harrison's blog. Um, he's got a recent blog post out on using the defer keyword in Swift. And that's one of those things that's kind of always hanging over me. Like I should really learn to do that. I should really do that more because I know. Um, and it's something, you know, the kind of technique of, of setting up kind of your teardown code when you do your setup code. Um, and keeping them grouped together. And it kind of seems to reflect what we're talking about now. So if you're doing something and you're, you're beginning it, then you know you're going to have to clean it up. Keep that all together. Um, so it, it seems like something that would improve the readability of my code in some places, but I've got to, to go through and, and read a little bit more about it. Um, and the other one, my other pick is, because it's getting cold again, and I was foolish enough to start in August, but flour, water, salt, yeast is kind of the seminal book for bread baking these days Um, and it's great whether you want to start with just kind of more simple rustic loaves or get into the full have a few sourdough starters one of my coworkers has actually had someone ship him um, a special bottle conditioned beer over from Germany I think so that he can play with it and and start some sourdough starters from that but it's a really great introduction and it's a really fun um, thing that gives you a lot of timing and guidelines and process around it uh, and I found there's a few things in there that have kind of come back to software development. Some of the just thinking about processes and routines and standards and how he sets up his day to make things easier. Um, so there's a few things that are in there that just kind of seems to be something that appeals to to people in software and elsewise, but also it's cold. And as long as you're not gluten-free, lots of great big loaves of bread is not a terrible thing at this time of year, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> Great. Uh, I'll go for my pick. And for this show, I would say uh, Putter Book is a good pick. Practical Objective-Oriented Design in Ruby. So a lot of what we talked about is sort of she, the, the author, uh, Sandy Matz, she, she's talking about it sort of from a different angle. And, and examples are in Ruby, but it's perfectly applicable for any other OOP language such as Swift. So I, I recommend, uh, my, my pick uh, is Putter this week. What about you, Misha? Uh, well, I would have uh, two picks. Uh, number one would be um, the Bear app, which I use a lot for um, like writing notes. It's a simple text editor, basically, uh, which has um, like tagging ability. And what I love about it is that it's, um, yeah, it's just uh, super, super simple to use and you can use some sort of like markup syntax and it's, it's very clean and it's, I always have like problems to, uh, that I get distracted um, by other apps and by lots of buttons and I try to make things beautiful and, you know, like with lots of formatting options and stuff. And for me, Bear helps me to focus on like the actual content um, and, and that's super cool. And the other thing, uh, the other pick would be um, the X coordinator. Um, this is like um, like a navigation library um, f- for iOS uh, based on the coordinator pattern. And it's actually something um, I got to learn about uh, from, from the folks at the company where I'm going to start working in, in January. And I haven't worked with it uh, myself. I haven't used it in any project yet, but I've uh, um, read a lot uh, of the documentation, which is really good. And it looks pretty cool. And I've... I've worked a lot with uh, coordinator patterns before in in projects before um, at the company where I worked before, and um, I always I was always thinking about like what if we had like some sort of a library to simplify some 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 things here, and that looks like super super promising and very well documented. So it's called X coordinator. Very good. So uh, Misha, how can people uh, reach out to you? 
Well, first of all, I have a, a homepage, a website, um, which is just reads like my name with a with a dash in between, Misha-Hildebrandt.de for Germany. And um, yeah, and um, I'm also available on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Der Hildebrandt, uh, D-E-R-H-I-L-D-E-B-R-A-N-D. And um, yeah, and uh, I have a Medium channel where I uh, post um, articles on, on iOS development from time to time, sometimes also on other topics, <laughs> uh, like, I don't know, like politics, climate change, whatever. Um, yeah, and uh, I think, yeah, it's probably going to be in the show notes. <laughs> I don't have to. Yeah, we'll, we'll put it all in, in show notes, of course. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, thank you very much. And uh, this was another iFix show, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.